Friends, I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents, a program where we feature some of the wit and wisdom of the venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. It is my sincerest hope that the reflections that you will hear today on this broadcast will truly touch your heart and in a way show you that your life is worth living. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. I'm your host Al Smith and I want to thank you for joining me for uh, this golden opportunity to learn our faith together. And uh, we are blessed to have these quality recordings that have been given to us to share all over the world. And uh, each week we have a few new radio stations come on board to uh, share uh, the wisdom of Archbishop Sheen. And we want to, of course, uh, say hello to our uh, new friends at uh, Catholic Community Radio, um, Again, the beautiful folks in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, again, it is great to have you uh, here enjoying the broadcast each week. And of course, our good friends all over the world through uh, Radio Maria have, uh, of course, uh, helped so many people to come in love with the church and, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary and our Blessed Lord. Uh, and again, for all our friends in Australia, the Philippines, the United Kingdom, Nigeria, Canada, and the United States. Again, a warm welcome to you all. All right, today we will have Archbishop Sheen give us two lessons. Uh, of course, a catechism lesson, uh, again, that you'll enjoy. Uh, but he'll begin with one of his uh, television uh, lectures uh, from his Life is Worth Living series. Uh, and the topic today is titled, Three Degrees of Intimacy. And so I will... Um, uh, not to tell you too much about that. I will let Fulton Sheen reveal what he means by that. And then our catechism lesson is actually catechism lesson number 38 out of a series of 50. So we've been moving along well in this series. And today the topic he will cover will be sex is a mystery. Again, sex is a mystery. So uh, without further ado, may I present to you the wit and the wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen as he entertains us with his reflection titled Three Degrees of Intimacy. Please enjoy. It cost me $100 to be with you tonight, really and truly. Last year there was a woman from South Carolina who sent me $100 to be used for our work. I sent it to a leper colony in India. Then she saw me on television. And she said, you are irretrievably bad on television. And unless you give up television, I insist that you give me back my $100. Well, I said, madam, you're not penalizing me. You're penalizing these poor people to whom I sent your money. Will you please not reconsider it? And she said, I will not reconsider. Either you stop television or send me back the 100 So I sent back the 100 
Would you look so comfortable in your own homes that I thought it was worth $100 to be with you? And if it please you, in this telecast, we will discuss the subject of intimacy. And there are two kinds, at least we're going to discuss two kinds. One is audience contact. And the other is the intimacy of love. Now, while my angel is cleaning off the board, and my angel is back with me again this year. Incidentally, you can never see uh, the angel on television, not even with an admiral. <laughs> but we have a drawing of the television. When I left last year, uh, Dick Brown uh, drew a cartoon of the angel bidding me goodbye. And this is the picture of the little angel. Now, that's the way the angel looks. That's as close as you'll ever see him. As regards our audience contact, in our modern world, there are three, namely radio, television, and in person. When anyone is interested in establishing communication with his fellow man in our modern civilization, he will use one of these three media. And there is a progressive intimacy from one to the other. First of all, radio has the great advantage, as you know, of amplification of sound. It would be wonderful if it would also amplify ideas. But what radio has done, actually, is to harness sound to light. Sound does not travel very fast in a certain temperature at the rate of about 1,200 feet a second. And light travels at the rate of 186,000 miles a second. But thanks to radio, one is able to, to bring the sound of words to you with this great and tremendous speed of light. One of the difficulties, however, of this form of audience contact is that the audience always is passive. Once you tune somebody in, there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to listen to it. You never can talk back. But there's also something active on the part of a radio audience, and that is the human wrist. It is amazing how much power there is in the human wrist. You can shut off any program like that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do that with certain people? Just turn a little knob and they would stop talking. Then the second form of audience contact and intimacy is television, which of course adds the new dimension of vision. And this is one of the greatest of all inventions in as much as it brings all kinds of sights and sounds into your own room. It is not a particularly easy medium. Uh, that is to say, for those who are on it. Uh, those of you who are looking at home, you see 
uh, now, for example, only me. But you do not see all of these people out here in the front of the stage, sound men, one man holding a pipe, camera, sound boom, uh, cameras, light, engineers, technicians. All of those are hidden from your view. Now, when you have somebody on the stage with you, it's much easier because you can talk to him. This is a very lonely place if you have nobody with you. I often marvel at the theatrical power of, for example, Sid Caesar. How that man can carry on all alone, sometimes without any words at all, when he just simply does a pantomime. It's really a high form of theatrical art. Then, as regards the audience, uh, television, uh, however, makes it very difficult for the speaker from the point of view of the audience. Because you can always test the sincerity of the speaker. You can always tell if he has a teleprompter in front of him. If he has a teleprompter, watch his eyes. They would always go this way. <laughs> As if he were at a tennis match. Sometimes the cards are hid down here. And then you watch his eyes and it's this way. <laughs> But the most intimate of all the contacts, of course, is personal appearance. How many G.I.s there are throughout the world who are showing other G.I.s the pictures of the girl, or rather telling them other G.I.s about the girl they love? And of course the G.I.s say, well, show me your picture. And then they want to know her, if possible, in person. As soon as one establishes personal contact, that is to say, when you meet someone, you shake hands with them. There is a positive communion of personality with personality. And in addition to that, there's also an exchange of ideas, something that is not possible on either radio or television. Sometimes one is very disappointed when you see someone in person after having seen him in television or imagining how he looks on radio. Like the woman in Brooklyn who said, Glory be to God, you certainly look much better on television. <laughs> and apropos of uh, personal appearance, you have to have your wits about you. I remember some years ago I had uh, someone who was working with me in the house. And he would take a moral holiday about every few weeks. And I told him on one occasion that John McCormick, the famous singer, was coming to visit us. And he said, Three more weeks now, see John McCormick. Two more weeks, I will see John McCormick. Five more days, I will see John McCormick. Three more days, I'll see John McCormick. John McCormick came. He came in to serve the table, and there was a roast served that night. Ordinarily, I do not remember what we have to eat. But he got down on both knees, and the roast, and he bowed to me, and the roast waved perilously from side to side. And I was saying to myself, my, I hope John McCormick doesn't think this is the way I trained him. <laughs> and then a short time afterwards, a table was upset in the kitchen, dishes were broken. He started beating up the housekeeper, and he left the house, and he came back three days later. And he says, gee, he said, I wish I could remember seeing John McCormick. <laughs> well, these are three intimacies of radio contact in our modern world, and they correspond, now mind you, to three senses and three intimacies of love. If we are ever to know that anyone loves us, or if we are to love anyone else, we have to use the sense of hearing. 
corresponds to radio. We would never know anyone loved us unless he told us so. Speech is the summation of a soul. All that it has been, all that it is, and all that it will ever be. Just as soon as we hear a person speak, we say, he's a learned man. He is a kind man. He is a cruel man. He is a humble man. He is a negligent. We can even pick up the books of the past. Great minds like Sophocles, Aristotle, Aquinas, Bonaventure, Bossuet. And we know something of their character. It's the first of all, the intimacies of love. Perhaps we do not use it often enough. We may be like that Vermont farmer who said to his wife one night as they were seated on the back porch, he said, Molly, I believe it's about 40 years since I told you that I loved you. Then the next intimacy of love is vision. C. It looks like a dollar sign, but it's C. We are not satisfied merely to hear someone speak. We want to see words born in human lips. We want to see the earnestness of a visage and the sincerity of a face and the revelation of a heart. And that is why, in addition to loving someone and speaking about words of love, we want to see them. And this is an intimacy which establishes a kind of a communion for the image is in one's mind. You might almost say the image of the other is in one's heart. And then there is still one other intimacy. An intimacy that is so deep so profound and so personal that the greatest insult anyone can show us is to make use of it if he has not the right. And that is the intimacy of touch. is the contact of personality with personality. And we often say, may I touch you? A mother touching her child, a nurse touching the sick brow of a patient, husband welcoming wife and wife husband. All these are the final intimate revelations of love. And thus you see that the first intimacy of love corresponds to some extent to radio. Seeing to television and touch to a personal meeting. Now, if these be the intimacies of love, and there is another love than the human, then maybe that is the way that God might show his intimacy to us. 
Could he not speak? Could there not be audience contact with humanity? If he is ever to convince man that he loves man, then he must tell man that he loves. And God has spoken. He's spoken in many instances. And all you need to do is to turn over the pages of the Old Testament. And you will find written there the speech of God. The Old Testament is something like radio, a speech without vision. And what speech there is. Take, for example, those great commandments that were given to the Jews and have been the fabric of the world's great civilizations ever since. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Thou shalt not take in vain name of the Lord thy God. Remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. This was some of the words of the first intimacy, and there were others. I will be to you a shepherd. You, my sheep, and those that are with young, I will carry. And if your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. And if they be as red as crimson, they shall be made white as wool. the rest of those speeches of love you can read. But you will not be completely satisfied. For in addition to hearing, love also wants to see. And if God is to exhaust the intimacies of love, he must not only speak to man, he must also be seen. And that is the New Testament, which is something like television adding vision to speech, and God was seen. Seen in the form of a babe first, in fulfillment of a prophecy that was 700 years old. His name would be called Emmanuel. God with us. Men had seen him in a thousand attitudes of love, and they would have been embarrassed if they had to pick the one which was his greatest revelation. They saw him, for example, gather 
the children to himself, pressed them to his heart, and blessed them. And they saw him too when the apostles were disputing among themselves as to who would be the greatest. saw him place a child in the midst and say, unless you become as one of these, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That was another way of saying that no old people ever enter heaven. We all have to have something of that childlike simplicity which he spoke. And then they saw him on other occasions at a banquet table. Simon of Cyrene had invited him, but there was also an uninvited guest. And she came and poured ointment upon his feet. And they saw him praise that woman, for the lost sheep had found the shepherd. Though they had heard, and though they had seen, and though in your intimacies of love you hear and see, there is still another, more intimate still, which is the attitude of touch. And if he is to exhaust the intimacies of love, he must touch and be touched. And touched he was. He was touched when the woman came. And said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. And then he was touched, too, by that woman who kissed his feet and wiped the ointment away with her hair. And then the greatest of all touches. When a man who doubted his divinity as men might doubt his divinity now, was cured of that doubt by the greatest of all proofs. And the Savior said to him, in answer to his demand, unless I can put my finger, said Thomas, into his hand, and my hand until his side I will not believe. And the Savior said, Thomas, bring forth thy finger, put it into my hand. And thy hand, put it into my side. Be not incredulous, but believing. What more can love do to establish contact with the audience of humanity than to speak, to be seen, and to touch? And to each and every one of us is given one of these intimacies. Everyone in the world hears for these inspirations of grace are constantly coming to every single soul in the world. There are not as many that see. Only those with eyes of faith ever see. Then there is one other intimacy still which is reserved to the few. And that is the intimacy of touch. Those who possess him in his spirit, so that he lives on the inside of them, 
This is the greatest of all intimacies in the sense that there is here an interpenetration almost of the divine with the human, which the divine comes to be the guest of the human soul. And may your intimacies grow and enlarge so that you may hear, you may see, and you may It does not require much time to make any of us very good. It only requires much love of the right kind. God love you. Well, my dear friends, I hope you enjoyed that first reflection from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. And uh, I think many of you, of course, have already subscribed to a number of Sheen podcasts and um Again, I think I want to recommend everyone, if you haven't done so yet, please do so. Uh, you'll find me at the School of Sheen or Bishop Sheen Presents podcast. And um, again, all of those great social media outlets, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, they all carry the podcast. So just Google Bishop Sheen Presents and you'll be able to uh, subscribe to our weekly podcast. So if you miss an edition uh, or two, you can catch up. Uh, I know that we have over 300 audio recordings on uh, a number of these um, um, platforms, I like to say. And so uh, please subscribe to one of our uh, many podcasts. Again, it's either The School of Sheen or Bishop Sheen Presents. And, uh, of course, who are loving the uh, website that we set up many years ago. Uh, it's simply titled bishopsheentoday.com. And if you visit bishopsheentoday.com, you'll see that we have it set up into three sections. Uh, there's the watching Sheen section where you can watch, you know, hours and hours of Sheen's television shows uh, by season um, we got season one, season two, season three. Um, you can watch them for hours. They're all there, uploaded uh, to uh, the internet, and you can watch them for free. Uh, so again, the Watch Sheen uh, section of the website. Uh, there's the Listen to Sheen uh, section of the website where you can listen to podcasts such as this. And we have hundreds of those um, uploaded, and you can listen to those for free. And then we have uh, a Read Sheen section where you'll see the list of the 66 books that Fulton Sheen wrote, and uh, we have some free digital downloads in that section. And we also have a beautiful bookstore uh, that uh, features many of the uh, classic Sheen writings, uh, the, the books that you've come to know and love. And so they're available for purchase. And uh, again, every book that you purchase helps us. Uh, we, of course, make a little bit of profit from each book. And that, of course, helps us to pay for radio airtime and other expenses here at Bishop Sheen today. And we actually have a charity book program. Uh, and you'll see that on the website. And uh, people uh, will give us a $20 donation. And we, in turn, will send them a book of their choice and uh, we'll ship the book all over the world so to those listening in Australia we can ship books to Australia to those uh, listening in the United Kingdom we can ship books there to those listening in Canada and the United States we can ship books to you there uh, so again a $20 donation and we will send you a book and there are I think there's a list of 30 
uh, 34 titles of uh, books you can choose from. So again, the charity book uh, program at Bishop Sheen Today. So again, that website, bishopsheentoday.com. And of course, we've partnered with uh, many great publishers such as Sophia Institute Press and Tan Books. And uh, they've given us discounts. Um, there's a 25% discount for everything that Sophia Institute Press sells. Uh, when you just use a promo code of SHEEN25 uh, when you check out. And uh, the good folks at Tan Books are giving a 15% discount on all of their books. So, uh, and you'll just use the promo code SHEEN when you check out there. So, and that's all, um, all that information's on the website, bishopsheentoday.com. And so, uh, you know, again, <laughs> uh, just go there and you'll, 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 you'll be educated on Sheen. That's for sure. Again, read Sheen, listen to Sheen, uh, watch Sheen. Uh, it's all there at bishopsheentoday.com. All right, uh, back to our catechism lesson. And so today, uh, Fulton Sheen will be talking on the topic that sex is a mystery. And uh, so without further ado, may I present to you the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen as he teaches us another catechism lesson. Please enjoy. Peace be to you. The two words most often used and abused in our modern world are the words freedom and sex. Freedom is often used to signify the absence of law, and sex is often used to signify the absence of restraint. It is this subject that we are interested in today in the general discussion of matrimony. We will commence with three very popular expressions about the subject of sex and then apply some thinking to these expressions. The first popular expression is, sex is not anything to be ashamed of. Now that can be understood in a right and wrong sense. It is right if it means that the human race reproduces itself in a certain way that gives pleasure. But that expression can be wrong if it means carnal license, the mess that sex instinct has got us in today, uncontrolled use of pornographic literature. If these things are nothing to be ashamed of, then the expression is wrong. Let us take a second one. We must be self-expressive. That is right if it means that we are to perfect our personality. It is wrong, however, if self-expression means to allow the sex instinct every satisfaction and at all times and under all circumstances. Uh, we must analyze the full significance of the term self-expression a locomotive on a track following the road that was laid out by an engineer is self-expressive if it stays on the tracks. Then it reaches its full perfection as a locomotive. If, however, 
The locomotive says to itself, why should I obey the laws and the track that were tracks that were laid down for me by an engineer some years ago? I'm going to follow my own impulses. If it jumps the track, it was self-expressive in the wrong sense of the term, and then it destroyed itself. Can you imagine a soldier in battle deserting the line, and then running back to safety, meeting a superior officer? And can you imagine that superior officer saying to him, I am so glad that you were self-expressive. After all, we have inherited a number of old Victorian ideas that a man should stay in the battlefield and fight for his cause and for his country. But you have allowed your personality to manifest itself. You have deserted the lines. and You have come back here to safety. I commend you. We shall give you a medal for being self-expressive. Makes a lot of nonsense, does it not? Certainly we are to follow the idiom, be yourself, but we have to remember what we are. We are human beings. We are not animals. And a third expression that is often used today is, well, God would never have given us this particular instinct unless he intended it to be used. Therefore, we have a right to use it. Certainly. But we have a right to use it according to our nature. Uh, what is the nature of man? Is it that of a rational animal? Or is it the nature of a rooster? Inasmuch as our nature is rational, that is to say we have to live according to purposes and goals, well then it follows that we are to use our instincts according to that order of reason and not according to mere instinct. We have a hunting instinct, but we are not to use it at all times and under all circumstances. One may not, for example, hunt down mothers-in-law. Just as dirt is matter in the wrong place, so lust is the sex instinct in the wrong place. There has been perhaps too much emphasis upon it, and it is well to recall what a great sociologist has written about a similar emphasis that was put upon it in earlier days. We are here quoting Dr. Petrim A. Sorokin, who writes, Those families among us which frequently change husbands and wives, which fail in their duties to their children and adopt the moral code of the gutter, are pushing us along the road to chaos. Greece in the third and second centuries before Christ brought sex into the open. We know, he continues, because there were kinseys in those days too, 
men who prided themselves on their objectivity as they calmly recorded the distressing picture of whole families getting together to indulge in promiscuous behavior. Adultery, prostitution, were so common that those who indulged were regarded merely as interesting fellows. Now note how this sociologist concludes. But such a society was not able to summon the backbone to resist in the face of war or to endure the austerity program that might have salvaged that overblown economy. Soon the glory that was Greece was over and the mighty Acropolis was only a hillside strewn with ruined marble. Would be well for any country which stresses the flesh too much to remember that lesson of history. Let us take now an entirely different point of view. There's a certain amount of sympathy to be extended to those who protest against the way purity and chastity have been stressed. Too often it is negative. Almost all talks on chastity begin with don't do this or don't do that. It would seem as if it were almost a, a negative virtue rather than a positive one. No, Christianity bids us look at things in a godlike way. And what do we learn by studying man? Well, we see that every human being has two instincts. Basic, fundamental, strong. One is hunger. The other is sex. God implanted both of these. It is thanks to hunger that we preserve individual life. It is thanks to sex that we preserve social life. And God had to associate great pleasures with these two instincts in order to assure the continuation of both personal life and the human race. Naturally, there will come deviations, excesses, with either of these instincts. Man may eat too much, he may drink too much. His body will get fat. So too, there can be excesses of the sex instinct. They can be deordinate, and just as one may produce bad health from abusing the hunger instinct, so too one can develop a carnalized mind. One would not generally put garbage into the stomach, but too often one will put garbage into the mind. Now looking at it positively, youths are not to think, therefore, that this urge they have is wrong. It's godlike. It's heaven sent. It's good. It is never wasted, even when it is controlled. Because the energy that might go out physically is sublimated and 
They come out in another way, mentally and spiritually, as it most often does. Now let us try to treat this subject in a dignified and positive fashion. We begin by asking, what is purity? Or what is chastity? Purity is reverence paid to the mystery of sex. I repeat. Purity is reverence paid to the mystery of sex. We do speak of the mystery of sex, and it is a mystery. But why is it a mystery? Why is it called that? If we use the Greek word, we would use the word sacrament. Now you remember that in the supernatural order, every sacrament has two elements. One material, one spiritual. One that can be seen or heard or touched, and the other, which is divine. So too in the natural order, sex is a mystery because it has these two characteristics. First, sex is something that is known to everyone. One is either male or female. And yet, there's something hidden from everyone. The known element is, as we said, that everyone is either male or female. The invisible, mysterious element of sex is its creativeness. A sharing in some way of the creative power of God. Now it was God's love that made him a creator. And so God has poured that love into man and woman to make them co-creators with him. And that co-creation with him is a free gift. Now, we have certain movements in our body that are not subject to freedom. For example, breathing, breathing, digestion, circulation, and so forth are to a great extent unconscious and involuntary. They go on independently of our will. But to create a poem, a statue, or a child is a free act. God gave the divine commission, increase and multiply. Communicate new life. So we are sent into this world, therefore, to pass on a torch. A torch of life. And God has put that into our hands. To burn controlled unto the purpose and destiny fixed by him. Purity, therefore, is reverence paid to the mystery of sex, and the mystery of sex is creativeness. Now a second point. All creativeness is surrounded with awe. And there is a creativeness given to man and woman. That is one of the reasons why, at all times, there has been an association of religion with the unity of man and woman, not only in Christianity, but among all pagan peoples. It was felt 
naturally that this great power of creativeness should be surrounded in some way by religious sanction. If then we understand the mystery aright, just as in in supernatural sacraments we mortals supply act and bread, water, words, so to hear man and woman supply the flesh and God supplies the mystery. And this awesomeness that surrounds sex is the reason why young men act in a certain way toward young women and why young women act in a certain way toward young men. There's a sense of mystery, reverence, awe, that makes each one of them shrink from a too precocious surrender of the secret. That is one of the reasons why man is naturally chivalrous toward a woman. Not because he believes that she is physically weaker, but because of the awe that he feels in the presence of mystery. That too is why woman is tender, sensitive, even timid because she has a great mystery inside of her. Why cannot sex be used outside of marriage? Well, because certain powers are to be used only in certain relationships. What is lawful in one relationship is not lawful in another. A man may kill another soldier in a just war, but not in his private capacity as a citizen. A policeman can arrest someone as a duly appointed guardian of the law, fortified with a warrant, but not outside of that relationship. And so, too, the creativeness of man and woman is lawful under a relationship sanctioned by God, but not apart from that mysterious relationship called marriage. And purity will never separate the two. Purity would no more think of isolating the capacity to share in God's creativeness than Oh, a good person would ever think of using a knife apart from its purpose to stab a neighbor. The things which God has joined together will not be separated. Purity, then, is not just physical intactness. In the woman, it is a firm resolve never to use the power until God shall send her a husband. And in the man... It is a steadfast desire to wait upon God's will that he have a wife, that he may use her for God's purposes. Purity, then, you see, does not begin in the body. It begins in the will. And from there it flows outward, cleansing the imagination and the will, and finally the body. Bodily purity is a repercussion, a echo of the will. Life is impure only when the will is impure. You see then that purity is the sacristan of love. It's its guardian. And just as we do not want to see an American flag under someone's feet, because there's a mystery to that flag, it symbolizes something else. So the pure are shocked 
at the impure because it is the prostitution of the sacred. It makes the reverent irreverent. The essence of all obscenity is the turning of the inner mystery into a jest. Given a hidden presence of God in every person, just as there is a hidden divine presence in the bread of the altar, each person becomes a kind of a consecrated host. Not in the same sense as the bread of the altar, but because chastity or purity is a consecrated affection. Notice here we are making it positive, not negative. It is not something you must not do. It is something you must do, namely, dedicate an affection. For example, a mother will say to her young, never do anything of which your mother would be ashamed. So one is dedicated to the love of the mother. Young man goes with a young woman, he's dedicated to her ideals. Marriage, dedication to a wife. In each and every instance, it's always love that inspires charity and chastity and purity. You might give an example of this in the analogy of a musician. And we want this to describe in some way the danger of isolating sex from love and from its purpose and from its creativeness. Suppose a director of an orchestra becomes very conscious of his hands, how he is going to hold the baton, between which fingers, whether his elbow is too high, whether his right hand should be lifted above his shoulder. Suppose he concentrates just on his hand. Do you not think it's going to have an effect upon the music? Now suppose he concentrates on the music and the orchestra and the production of harmony. Then everything fits into place. He's very unconscious of the hand. And so too when sex becomes a part of love life and the purpose of life, then it is a dedication And it fits into the whole. So sex is not something that is isolated from life. Of course, there is self-control, there's subordination of a part to a whole, but all this, again, I repeat, is on account of serving a higher enthusiasm. When you dance, you do not concentrate on your feet, And if you did, you'd be walking on your neighbor's toes. But when you make your feet serve the spiritual and the mental and the social part of you, you have no trouble. Thus purity properly understood is the taking of love and making every part of the sex instinct fit into it. That is why frequent Holy Communion is the best guardian of chastity. 
because it places sex in the context of love. We've already said that chastity is the vestibule, the sacristan of love. Now, when we become in love with our Lord, when we have a sense of this tremendous ecstasy, and that's what it is, that comes from Holy Communion and from oneness with our Lord and Savior, then every part of us our hunger instinct, our sex instinct, become a part of that love. It is love that awakens chastity. It is not the other way around. In every moment of our life, from the time that we are children, just reaching the age of reason, on up until old age, It is the love of God that makes every other kind of love understandable. Even the love of husband and wife. He who loves honesty never has to be told not to steal. He who loves his neighbor never has to be told not to cut his throat. And so, any of us who love God human persons, and the mystery of creativeness, we never have to be told not to do something. We're in love with the mystery. As Francis, Francis Thompson put it, But thou who knowest the hidden thing, thou hast instructed me to sing, teach love the way to be a new virginity. Do thou with thy protecting hand shelter the flame thy breath is fanned. Let my heart's reddened glow be but as sun-flushed snow. And if they say that snow is cold, O oh, chastity must they be told the hand that's chaffed with snow takes a redouble glow. That extreme cold like heat doth sear. Oh, to the heart of love draw near and feel how scorching rise its white cold purity. Sex is the reverence paid to the mystery of creativeness. You are listening to Bishop Sheen Presents here on the Radio Maria Network. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me today to listen to a little bit of the wit and the wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. I want to thank you for tuning in and uh, wherever you are throughout the world. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, um, our um, family continues to grow. I mean, we are in debt to our good friends at Radio Maria, uh, a Christian voice in your home. Uh, again, this Christian voice of Archbishop Sheen is being shared once again. And again, when you look at the numbers that Archbishop Sheen 
uh, garnered uh, on his days in radio and television. Uh, five million people tuned in to his radio addresses each week, and uh, it was a nice blend of uh, Catholics, Protestants, and Jews. And so he was speaking to the masses. And the same was true of his television years, where 30 million people tuned in each week to uh, watch his television show. And so, again, a great cross-section from uh, society. And so it doesn't matter what uh, faith you are. I think uh, Fulton Sheen was talking to people of faith and, of course, would bring them into an encounter with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so hopefully you've had uh, a small encounter with our blessed Lord today uh, through these reflections given by Archbishop Sheen. Again, a hello to all our new listeners, and of course, um, we invite you to visit our website at bishopsheentoday.com. And as I mentioned earlier, there are books, there are videos, there is uh, audio recordings, uh, there are promo discount codes that you can use with a number of publishers. So uh, we're trying to be as generous as we can to share the love of Archbishop Sheen. Uh, again, the way he did it uh, still works today. And, uh, you know, again, don't uh, try to change a good thing. And so uh, Bishop Sheen is that good thing. My dear friends, have a blessed and glorious week. And until the next time that we meet, may the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you.